0: I'd like us to sing together an old, old, ancient song of the church. If you were raised in a, in a traditional church, uh, you know this probably pretty well. If you weren't, it's easy to learn, and I think you'll pick up on it real quick. The doxology. So would you join me in singing this? I need, I need a... no. We'll try that key. Still suffering a little bit with a, with a cold. So let's sing together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow, praise Him all creatures here below, praise Him above ye heavenly hosts, praise Father, Son, and Host. And then would you say the Apostles' Creed with us? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, you may be seated. If you're joining with us for the first time tonight, or uh, you have been away for a while, I'll just catch you up briefly. The message series that we're going through right now is based upon the statements about Jesus from the Apostles' Creed that we just read. And so we've been walking through, there's seven of them that I'm examining, and what I really believe and what's the foundation of this message series is that if we really understand who Jesus is, and if we know him personally, our lives ought to be transformed. That's a good place for you to say, amen, so be it. And so so I believe that when we get to know Jesus, our lives will change. And so that's where we're going. Uh, We've talked about Jesus being Lord. We've talked about his virgin birth, all kinds of different things that we've talked about up to this point. And tonight, uh, I'm I'm pulling apart that line from the creed that we said, uh, He descended into hell. He descended into hell. And as I began to study for this message series, I'll tell you the truth, I spent more time on this particular message than I think I've spent on any messages in a very, very long time. I've done an extreme amount of research, Uh, but as I began to look at this statement, Jesus descended into hell, I found there's all kinds of disagreement among theologians and experts and people that study the Bible deeply, and uh, I also found that there's a lot of confusion in the Christian world and among lots of Christians about exactly what hell is. So tonight I'm going to talk about hell. I'm going to talk about uh, what it means that Jesus descended into hell and what that impact will be on our lives. So I want to talk for just a couple of minutes about confusion. How many of you are confused right now? Very good, Ed. Okay, lots of confusion. So you'll relate to my story really well. Uh, Nikki just walked in the door. Hi, Nikki. Everybody say hi, Nikki. (laughs) I'm saying hi to Nikki because uh, my story begins with you, Nikki. And so uh, you got to love that. Last night, Nikki had her her prom, and she invited Kristen and me to come uh, out to Journey Church, to their location at Baxter and Love, to see the Grand Parade. Is that what it was called? The The Grand March. It was like a parade, a parade of... Lots of sparkles and tuxedos and things that I hadn't seen before. And, uh, <laughs> and Nikki was beautiful. You were beautiful, Nikki. So good job for you. Uh, but we went and, and it was really cool to see this. And I, I was so, uh, I was impressed with the kids and they were having so much fun. But I was also so impressed with Journey Church because they had opened their facility. I don't really know how they made this work because I know they have a Saturday night service. But they had made this place into a beautiful ballroom and and they had the kids there until late at night and then they had services this morning i'm sure and i just thought it was really generous of them to open their facility to belgrade high school to have their prom there and it was awesome and and i was able to chat for a little while with pastor brian and he and i were talking about some things that we have common interests in and and we congratulated nikki and we took lots of pictures and then we went home and i i was tired i was getting ready to go to sleep and And uh, kiss Chris goodnight and I was drifting off into sleepy land thinking about all the events of the day. And I was just at that point of falling into deep sleep when I remembered that I hadn't set my alarm clock. And uh, usually on Sunday mornings I get up around 5.30 and I get all my stuff ready and I like to go through my message and just make sure that I'm all ready for the day. It's a big day for me. And I realized late at night, almost asleep, I'd forgotten to to set my alarm clock so I was immediately faced with a choice okay if I wake up pull myself out of that beginning of sleep and set my alarm clock in all likelihood I'm gonna be wide awake and I won't be able to go back to sleep right but on the other hand if I just go to sleep and try to forget the fact that there is no alarm clock set I'm gonna be not sleeping well all night long worrying that I'm not gonna wake up right so I have this impossible choice to make and I chose the latter. I did not set my alarm clock, and I just drifted off into sleep. And as I knew it would happen, I didn't sleep well. I just had all this crazy mixture of images and, and impressions from my day and what was coming today. All these things just became a big, confusing mess of soup in my sleep. So here's what I saw in my dreams. And, and this was not a prophetic dream. That's not where I'm going. I, I, it was just confusing and weird. I dreamed that Sunday morning came and that I had been invited for some reason to be a guest at Journey Church. And I don't know, my dream didn't explain what I was doing there. I just knew that I was a guest there, and Pastor Brian had invited me to be there. Uh, But I also knew I had to get to Connect Church by 10.30 in the morning to do the teaching and participate with the band and all that kind of stuff. So I went to Journey Church first thing. But what I didn't do, I went to Journey without taking a shower. So I just looked awful, you know, and I stank and had pajamas on or something i don't know but but it it was just nasty and i knew that as soon as i was done there i had to go to my home and take a shower chris had already gone ahead to connect and then i would catch up with her at connect so i did whatever i was doing over there and then i went to my home to take a shower and as dreams go all weirdo in the night you know how this works i went to the first home that chris and i had ever lived in together when we were first married and and that home is in great falls And I walked in the back door into the kitchen and everything was just as it should be. But as soon as I walked in the door, I was aware that there was a different family living in that house. It was not my house anymore. And and I realized this isn't my home. So I went out the door and I'm thinking, I gotta find out where I live, because I gotta take a shower, I got to get to church. And so I then I went on this big quest to find my home, and I systematically went to each of the homes that Chris and I had lived in in Great Falls, trying to find where I belonged. Every one of them, there was a different family living in those homes. Somewhere along the line, my parents came along and made a cameo appearance, but I just kept looking, you know, for, uh, for my home. And, and finally, I was getting so worked up because I was afraid I was going to be late for church, and, and I wasn't showered. I finally laid there thinking, I don't know where I live right now. And, and I, I began to wake up from the stress of this dream. You know how that is? And I was laying there and it felt like my eyelids were glued shut. But I remember thinking very consciously, if I can just open my eyes, I will see where I live right now and then I'll know. And so I finally opened my eyes and I saw in the darkness our bedroom and I realized I don't live in Great Falls anymore. I live in Bozeman and my address is 3102 Pharma. And, and then I knew where I was, and, and then I was able to go back to sleep. And so it was, it was just very confusing. Weird, right? Have you ever had dreams like that? Just everything becomes soup. And sometimes, sometimes that kind of dreamy soup can translate over to other areas of our life. And when we talk about the subject of hell, I find that for a lot of people, there's a lot of confusion about exactly what hell is even people who have been raised in Sunday school and have been around church people a lot, uh, we, we gather our information and our images and our impressions about what we believe from so many sources. There are actually things that are not true that have come into this confusing soup that we believe about hell. And so tonight, the first thing I want to do is clear up a little bit some of the misconceptions that we have about hell and exactly what hell is before we tackle this idea that Jesus went to hell. But just to illustrate this, what I'd like you to do is if you uh, text on your phone, would you take your phone out right now? Uh, You might want to put it on vibrate or silence or whatever, uh, because in just a moment we could have 50 different phones going off. What I would like you to do, would you text somebody who is not here at Connect Church tonight Anybody you want to, uh, anybody that you think you might get an interesting answer from, and ask for a definition from hell. A definition from hell. A definition... You could ask for that, that'd be interesting. A definition for hell. Ask for a definition for hell. Uh, Pastor John did this this morning, and he texted several of our musicians. Uh, One of them was Scotty Morales here sitting in the second row. And John asked... uh, give me a definition for hell. And Scotty wrote back and said, oh crap, am I supposed to be playing this morning? (laughs) 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 That was funny. But uh, see what you come up with, all right? Go ahead and text uh, asking for a definition of hell. And uh, we'll give you a few minutes to get some responses and then I'll have you uh, share those with us. I'll have you share those with us. Uh, The creed said, I believe in Jesus Christ who descended into hell. Probably the most significant verse in the Bible that talks about that is Acts chapter 2 and verse 31. And I want to start there tonight. Acts chapter 2 verse 31. Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. All of the disciples have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's been this big uproar in the city. And Peter begins to preach and talking about Jesus, and he quotes the Old Testament prophet David, King David, from the Psalms, and he says this, David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, or if you use an older Bible like a King James, it might say hell. Jesus was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Uh, a pretty clear reference that Jesus, when he died, experienced the same kinds of things that we humans experience. He went to the place of the dead. And if you're taking notes tonight, this is the first thing you can jot down in your notes on the blanks that are provided on those cards. I really believe this is true. When Jesus died, because he was fully God and fully man, when he died, he experienced death just like every human being experiences. Every person you've ever known who has died, every ancestor of ours uh, has died and has experienced a very similar thing to what Jesus experienced. You and I, if Jesus doesn't come in our lifetimes, will experience death and we will all experience the same kind of a thing. And Jesus was not spared any of the experiences that we would go through because he was fully human. And so he had that experience. That, that experience. So what does that mean? What does it mean when when Peter, quoting David, said he was not abandoned to Hades or to hell? Well, let me give you some definitions. Let me start with the word hell. What does that mean? How could we define the word hell? Uh, Well, first of all, you need to know that the word hell is an English word that describes a place of punishment for the dead. Place of punishment for the dead. In fact, the word hell really is not a Bible word at all. It's actually derived from Old Norse mythology. And a lot of our cultural understanding of what hell is comes from ancient mythology that has nothing to do with what the Bible teaches. And so it's a little bit of a problematic word when we talk about hell, even though it's a common thing uh, for, uh, for us to talk about. Um, Chris texted a friend of hers this morning and asked her for a definition of hell. And she was having a tough morning. And, and she said to Chris, um, hell is what I'm going through right now. <laughs> and and that's, that's something that, that we feel, that, that anything bad that happens is hell. That's a common cultural understanding. The closest thing to hell that we find in the Bible, or at least our, our English-speaking understanding of hell, would be the description in Revelation 20. And and it reads like this. Uh, The prophetic word says that death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And John says this is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And our understanding that hell is this place of burning and suffering and torment is pretty similar to what Revelation calls the lake of fire. But this is a little bit different than some of the terms that the rest of the Bible uses. Uh, you've probably seen cartoons about hell. I am a big fan of Gary Larson's and the far side. Anybody else love the far side? Some of my favorite cartoons were the ones he did of, of hell. So I have a few of them here for you. Uh, I, I love these. these. These are funny. Here's the first one. Uh, aerobics in hell. Three more, two more, one more. okay. Five million leg lifts, right leg first, ready, set. And uh, I think most of us would agree, eternal aerobics would be hell, right? All right, here's the next one. Uh, Drinking coffee in hell. And the devil is up there whipping people. And the the guys down here gather around the coffee maker and they say, oh man, the coffee's cold. They thought of everything. (laughs) So cold coffee evidently is hell. Here's another one. Uh, this, this man is being escorted into his room in hell filled with banjo players, and the devil says, your room is right in here, maestro. <laughs> so evidently for classically trained musicians, banjos are hell. And then this one is my favorite of all time. Uh, top says, welcome to heaven, here's your harp. The bottom says, welcome to hell, here's your accordion. <laughs> I have a good friend who's an accordion player, and I, ha, I pasted that cartoon on her uh, accordion case more than once. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of definitions of hell did you get? Did you get some responses? Eternal separation from God. Separation from God. That's, a, that's a pretty good definition. Yes? Okay. Okay. Okay, what'd they say? You got oh, you got it's weird how people go, well, that must be serious. What Scott oh. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like they're back to me in a second, Okay, so no definitions, <laughs> just personal stuff. Uh, yeah, my, my, my says, You're scaring him by asking him about right, hell. Well, I'm not sure, but it scares me a lot. It is a place you will never see. We're good oh, that's it's very not sweet. Not that's a place you will never see. Right. But it scares him. The idea of hell scares him. Okay, who else got some definitions? Amy. A place without God. God. Okay, good. Any other ideas? Nobody else is responding to Yes. Any place of pain and turmoil. Okay, that's a little bit nebulous, isn't it? Okay, kind of illustrates my point that, that we kind of lump a lot of things into the idea of hell. Anybody else get responses? no one else no. Oh, you got one from this morning nick go ahead truly alive, from. And then, okay that that's a good definition and and obviously somebody who's on mission uh not wanting anybody that that they love to spend time in hell so uh pretty good definition tonight. This morning we got some, uh, one of the definitions we got this morning was somebody talking about karma, all right? If you've got bad karma, you're going to go to hell. Not really a biblical concept, illustrated my point. So so I've defined for you what hell is. Uh, Let me give you three terms that we do find in the Bible, and I'll define them for you. The first one is a Hebrew word used in the Old Testament. The word is sheol, sheol, and this is on your notes, Sheol, very simply, was considered the place of the dead. It was considered the place where when you died, you just went to Sheol. Really, the Old Testament didn't differentiate too much between good people and bad people. When you died, you just went to this place. And nobody really knew what happened to you once you went to Sheol. It was just what happened. It's what what Hebrew people believed would happen. And by the time of Jesus... Uh, the jewish leaders had separated themselves into two theological theological camps there were the pharisees who believed that there was going to be someday a resurrection of the dead and the sadducees who believed that once you went to sheol you just ceased to exist you were nothing you were just annihilated for for all practical purposes and so there was this sharp division When Jesus was teaching, he was bringing correction to the Pharisees and Sadducees and their understanding of what happens after you die. The common New Testament term for hell is the term Hades. Hades. And that's a Greek term, and and our understanding of what Hades is is derived a lot from Greek mythology. It's considered the place of the dead, similar to Sheol, but it's also associated with punishment. So generally, New Testament writers understood that if you went to Hades, you were unrighteous, you were being punished for whatever you had done in this lifetime. And then one of the terms that Jesus used a lot was a Greek term called uh, Gehenna. Gehenna. And Gehenna was the name of a garbage dump that was outside of Jerusalem and it was continually burning. They were always burning uh, all of the stuff, the waste that came out of Jerusalem. So all of the Walmart bags and the plastic bottles and milk cartons and all of that kind of stuff was burning in the dump outside of Jerusalem. That was funny, but nobody's laughing. Um, It was a garbage dump, and they were just, they were just, Incinerating it, and it was a disgusting place that nobody liked to visit. Really, a lot like dumps today. Nobody really wants to go to the dump. You just send the garbage man to the dump, right? Generally. But Jesus referred to hell as Gehenna. It was a metaphor for the final place of punishment. It was this place of disgust and burning and torment. And when he talked about Gehenna, he was talking about eternal punishment. A lot of times the New Testament will translate that word Gehenna as hell. Acts chapter 2.31 says that Jesus went to Hades, the place of the dead. And the question that I have for us tonight is, why would Jesus go to Hades? Why did he go there and what happened to him there? Now I want to take you to 1 Peter chapter 3 to attempt to answer that question and as I do, let me just uh, say this to you tonight. You might want to follow along in your Bibles, or the verses will come up on, on the screen. But I want to say this. Uh, there's a lot of disagreement about what these verses from 1 Peter mean. And in fact, I've consulted a lot of books. I've talked to some of my theologian friends. I've got a good friend that's in seminary down in Springfield, and I've visited with him about this stuff. Uh, trying to get at the, at the root of all of this. And theologians agree that these passages that I'm going to read to you from the book of 1 Peter are some of the most confusing and difficult scriptures in all of the Bible. And theologians don't agree on what they mean. They don't agree on what happened to Jesus when he went to Hades. And so tonight when I'm I'm teaching this stuff to you, I, I want to say this. I'm not teaching this stuff because I believe that it's absolutely true. I want you to think with me a little bit tonight. And think, is there a possibility that this is actually what happened? And whether it did or whether it did not happen, just like I'm going to describe to you, uh, the important thing is that we make some application to our lives and understand the grace of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be offering you some ideas, and, uh, and, and I'm offering them with an open hand. Does that make sense tonight? Uh, I'm not saying you have to believe this or you're going to hell, okay? I'm just saying these are some compelling ideas to consider, all right? Uh, look at this with me. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. It says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. What that means is Jesus died on the cross. He was the righteous one. He died for unrighteous people that he might bring us to God, Being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. In other words, Jesus died humanly on the cross. But when he died, just like all of us, he came alive in the spiritual realm. The next verse says this. In which, the spiritual realm, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. And that word proclaimed is the Greek word that a lot of times is translated preached. So what it seems to say here is that Jesus went to Hades and he preached to the spirits that were held captive in the place of the dead. Does that make sense? Now if we turn over to chapter 4 verse 6, the idea continues. And it says this, for this is why the gospel was preached. And the word that's used there for preaching the gospel is, is the word that we get the word evangelize from. So Jesus went and evangelized even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. Now let me summarize this for you. This this is what seems to have happened. This is what what it it looks like these verses are describing. Number one, if you're taking notes, Jesus died on the cross physically. That's obvious. And and the writer of 1 Peter is just saying jesus died okay his his body ceased to live but at the same time uh the bible says he gave up the ghost the gospels say he gave up the ghost at the same time number two jesus was made alive spiritually and so when he was released from the body his spirit was no longer constrained to the limitations of human movement he was free to move through space and time and and uh in and out of The earthly realm, his spirit was set free from the constraints of his body. He was made alive spiritually. And then number three, it appears from these verses that Jesus went to Hades and he preached the gospel, which is the forgiveness of sins through his own sacrifice on the cross to everyone who had died previously. He went to Hades and he preached the gospel to everyone who had died previously. Now this is an amazing thought. But, but think with me a little bit. According to what the Bible says, God, God said to his people, I don't take any delight in the sacrifice of bulls and, and sheep and, and all of these things that, that were brought to the temple as sacrifices. They were commanded, but really, the book of Hebrews tells us that all of that sacrifice was just a preview of what Jesus would do on the cross. It was just a picture of the perfect sacrifice that could take away sins. And really, those animal sacrifices did not have the ability to take away sins because human beings are responsible for their own sin. And, and I believe that there was grace and, and that God was very patient. The Bible says so very clearly. But there was no perfect sacrifice for Old Testament people before Christ had died. So it makes sense to me that if Jesus went and preached to the souls who were in Hades, that he was offering the perfect forgiveness of sins that they could have only dreamt about and wished for. And, and this is a, a really cool idea Because uh, it answers the question of what happened to all those Old Testament people who had no offer of complete forgiveness of sins. It answers the question, what happens to people who never hear the gospel and no missionary has ever reached them. They've had no witness of who Jesus is. If Jesus goes and preaches the gospel to souls in Hades, the idea of the justice of God is answered and some of those nagging questions that many of us have wrangled with uh that that god in his mercy has allowed jesus to offer forgiveness even to those souls who are in hades and whether or not this is accurate if my understanding is true here's one thing that absolutely is true and this is the next line on your notes here's what's true jesus is the ultimate missionary Jesus is the ultimate missionary because Jesus was willing to go to the cross. Historians tell us that crucifixion is the most cruel and painful form of capital punishment that has ever been invented by human beings. Uh, Today... Uh, In our justice system, there's lots of argument over capital punishment, whether it's humane, whether whether it's even the right thing to do. And we're always trying to find very easy ways to put people to death. The electric chair or lethal injection or whatever. And we don't want people to suffer when they die. We want it to be very humane crucifixion was designed to be as cruel and painful as possible and god in his foreknowledge and his understanding of human history planned for his son jesus to come and suffer the most unimaginable painful death because jesus came to take the penalty that the most wicked person on this planet could ever deserve and that's why he was crucified and and that is an amazing missionary That he would trade his own perfection for all of the imperfection that you and I have ever ever found ourselves in. It's amazing. But then he takes it one step further, if I'm understanding these scriptures correctly, that then he goes to hell, Hades, whatever you want to call it. He goes to this place of torment to rescue even those who are without a savior. He's the ultimate missionary. It's an amazing thing. Ephesians 4 8 says this When he ascended on high, this is talking about the ascension of Jesus after he had appeared to the disciples. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. What I think that means is that when he went to heaven, he took with him all of those souls from Hades that he had preached the gospel to, and they had said yes to the offer of mercy and grace of Jesus. And they were released from the prison of Hades and they were taken up to heaven with Jesus. That's missions. That's amazing. That's evangelism. Now, why does this matter? Let me give you a few things that you can jot down. Actually, I don't think this is in your notes, is it? Uh, This isn't in your notes. I ran out of room, so uh, you can just file these away in your memory or write them on another piece of paper if you want to. Why do I think this matters? Here's number one. Uh, Jesus not only tasted death, but he drained death of its power. I love this. 1 Corinthians 15 says, oh death, where is your victory? Oh grave, where is your sting? Jesus not only experienced death, but he sucked the power right out of death. Uh, Meaning that you and I, if we are following Jesus, if we have experienced the grace of Jesus. We have nothing to fear. There is no reason for us to fear death or, or, or worry about what's going to happen to us when that time comes. Yesterday, Chris and I went to a funeral. Uh, uh, J. Bear Boyd lost his grandmother. And it was wonderful to go to a funeral and and everybody was rejoicing in the fact that dolly knew jesus she had lived for jesus her entire life and they were confident that she was in heaven there was very little sorrow they're all going to miss her i mean she was grandma she was mom you know she was a friend people loved her they're going to miss her but they weren't worried about her because they knew that she was in heaven jesus tasted death and he drained death of its power here's the second reason why i think this matters uh The triumph of Jesus Christ extends into all of history. It extends everywhere, both directions, past, present, forward. The power of Jesus and his triumph extends into all of history. Philippians 2.10 looks forward to the time when at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that prophetic passage, when it says, under the earth, that was the common understanding of where hell was in the depths of the earth. So what they're saying is, is, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and right here on earth and in hell as well. Every knee someday is going to bow to the name of Jesus. Now that's not to say that everybody is going to be saved. I, I, I don't believe that, that, is, that that's true. Jesus taught very clearly there will be wicked people who oppose the mercy and the grace of Jesus, and eternal punishment is waiting for them. Uh, there's, some, there's some popular authors and theologians out there. Uh, there's, there's a man by the name of Rob Bell that just wrote a book called Love Wins. You may have seen him uh, on TV or, or in different interviews lately. He, he wrote this book, and it's very, very controversial because he believes that the love of Christ is so compelling that every person will eventually, in this lifetime or after death, will say yes to the love of Jesus, and in the end, everyone will go to heaven. I don't believe that the Bible supports that idea. That's not what I'm saying. But I do think that the love of Jesus is so complete, so amazing, that even in Hades, Jesus has compassion and offers forgiveness and grace. Uh, But the amazing thing is, it seems to say in the Bible that even in that place of torment, there will be some who say, no, thank you, I'll go on my own. Can you imagine? And yet that's what the Bible seems to say. Here's number three. I love this too. Jesus was willing to go to any length to offer salvation to every person. He was willing to go to any length. Crucifixion, descending into Hades, Whatever it took, this was the commitment of Jesus to reach people. Second Peter 3.9, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, says, The Lord is patient with you. The Lord is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. In fact, if you read this verse in the context of the chapter, what it says is that uh, Jesus is actually delaying his coming. He's waiting. He's ready to come. The mansions are built. He's ready to take us all to heaven, but he's waiting because there are still some people who have not yet said yes to the offer of forgiveness in Jesus. So he's delaying. I don't know when he's going to say, all right, now's the time. I don't know when that moment will come. It could be 10 minutes from now. It could be 10 hours from now. It could be 10 years from now. It could be 10 lifetimes from now. I don't know when it will happen. The Bible doesn't tell us, but he says, for now... The delay, the hold up is because he's just waiting for some more people to say yes to the offer of grace in Jesus. Jesus is willing to go to any length to offer salvation. So what do we do with this? Let me give you a few next steps and some ideas that I believe ought to challenge us and change our lives as we move forward uh, in understanding the amazing grace of Jesus. Here's number one. I want to encourage you tonight not to worry too much about who is in heaven and who is in hell. Because the bottom line is Jesus is the judge and you and I really can't know what happens in those final moments of a person's life or what happens on the other side when a person goes to the place of the dead. We can't know, but we do know that Jesus is the judge. And sometimes we can be quick to judge people and the way they've lived their lives and, and the choices that they've made. But we don't know. Let, let me illustrate. I was raised uh, in, a, in a religious environment like many of you were. And I was taught that if a person commits suicide, it's a one-way ticket to hell, right? Many of us have been taught that. And uh, as an adult, as I've studied the scriptures and, and as I've experienced people's stories, I've, I've changed my view on... That teaching. Uh, And and one of the the significant experiences that I had uh, was my pastor's wife. Uh, When Chris and I got married uh, 16, 17 years ago, it was important for us to have our spiritual leaders at our wedding. And and so I invited my pastor to come and and be involved in our wedding. Chris asked her pastor to come and be involved in, in our wedding. And then my best friend was a pastor, and I asked him to come. So we had three pastors on board to to marry us and we were excited about uh, the ceremony and everything and about a week before the wedding my pastor Alan came to me and he said Russ um, my wife Lois is suffering a really deep depression and she's not well and there's no way that we can travel we're going to have to stay home and and he said I'm really sorry I want to be at your wedding but there's just no way that we can go and and to be honest with you I was a little hurt I didn't understand what Lois was going through at the time I was disappointed because I wanted my pastor there, uh, but we went through with it. We got, we got married and uh, didn't think a whole lot about it, but over the next couple of years, she began to spiral into a darker and darker depression, and uh, one day I came into the, the church office, and there was my pastor in his office, and he was crying, and I went in, and I said, Alan, what's the matter? And he was, he was very, very upset and troubled, and, uh, and I could tell that something was very wrong. And finally, I, I pulled it out of him, he, and he just stumbled out with the words, Russ, I don't think Lois is going to make it. And I said, Alan, what's happened? And he said that he was worried about her all day. He knew she was really struggling, and she was very, very dark. And so in his office, he kept calling and trying to get her on the phone, and there was no response. And, and he just got more and more worried. And he finally decided he would drive home. He lived Uh, quite a ways away from the church building, but he drove all the way home to check on her. When he got home, he found her in the garage in their pickup with the with the engine running. And she was very near death. She was unconscious and and she was nearly dead. And so he'd called 911, they came and they got her and he'd come back to the office. I had just caught him there and, and he was gathering some things and headed up to the hospital. But they had told him that she had been in that car and all the carbon monoxide had so infiltrated her system and, and the, the death process was hastening. And they told him that, that it was very grim. She was probably going to die. And as, as the week wore on and as they struggled to keep Lois alive, they, they finally gave a little glimmer of hope. She may live, but if she does, there's going to be severe brain damage. And so as a church we went to prayer and we prayed and we pounded the gates of heaven. I mean it was a significant time in our church experience. And and the short story is that God miraculously healed her. There is no reason why she should have lived number one and number two. She should have had severe brain damage but she not only lived but she made a complete and total recovery. And today she's traveling around the state of Montana with, with her husband, ministering to pastors and churches all over Montana. And, and she's a wonderful lady who, who has a, an incredible story of God's grace and God's mercy in saving her life. But when she got better, uh, we began to ask her about that experience. Lois, what was going on in your mind when you got into that pickup truck? And she said, she said to me, Russ, I was so... I was so confused in my mind. My mind wasn't working properly and I was convinced that everybody's life would be better if I was gone. I felt like I was doing the world a favor by exiting. And she said, I knew that heaven was a good place. I knew that Jesus loved me. So when I started up that pickup and I began to die, she said, I just began to sing praise and worship songs and I began to prepare myself to go and be with the Lord. And she said she knew without a doubt that she was going to be in heaven. She, it never even crossed her mind that she might not go to heaven. Her, her mind was just so clouded and confused and dark that she didn't really understand the gravity of what she was doing. And I have become convinced that that a God like Jesus, who would offer himself on the cross in exchange for our sins, would not judge her for making a decision in a time of severe mental illness. I don't believe he would have sent Lois to hell if she had died. I just believe God is more merciful than that. And, and that's why I say to you, don't be quick to judge those who have passed on and you don't know how they've made their peace with God. We just don't know. And we're not the judge. Jesus is the judge. And so let Jesus, in his mercy, take care of those people that you have lost in your life. Here's number two. This one's important. I wanna encourage you to stop trying to atone for your own sins. Stop trying to atone for your own sins. Some of you may be like me. I've gone through periods of time in my life where I have done things that I felt so regretful for and and I have felt like, like I have so offended God that there's no way that a simple prayer could bring me back into a right relationship with God. And so it kind of goes like this. I'll I'll decide I'm going to stop sinning, but I can't really pray because there's this block between me and God that I perceive. It's not real, but it's there. And so I just make up my mind, I'm going to be good as long as I can. And when I feel like I've really performed adequately, then I'm going to pray, then I'm going to ask forgiveness, then I'm going to come to Jesus when I've proved that I can be good enough. Here's the truth. You and I can't be good enough to atone for our sins. Only the sacrifice of Jesus is adequate. So why do we keep doing it? Stop it. Stop trying to atone for your sins. Let Jesus wash you clean, and then walk in the newness of life he gives you. But stop trying to do it on your own. Here's number three. This is the flip side of number two. I want to encourage you, don't gamble with the grace that's offered to you. Don't gamble with the grace that's offered to you. I don't know what happens after death. I don't know if we will have a second chance. I don't know if Jesus will come and say, really, you, you, you don't want... You don't, want new li- you don't want heaven, really? I don't know if Jesus is going to come to you and offer you a second chance. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And if you have heard the offer of the grace of Jesus, I would suggest to you, you better grab on and take hold of it because you don't know what comes in the future. This morning when I was studying and getting ready, I came across a scripture. It's not in your notes because I found it just this morning. Uh, John chapter 3, verse 36 Powerful verse, and a frightening verse. It says this, anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. That ought to scare the hell out of you. Okay? Don't gamble. Don't gamble. Um, Jesus is offering you grace say yes, and live for him. And then here's number four. I love this. Be on mission like Jesus, even if it means that your life is hell. Uh, If we're understanding the scriptures correctly, friends, Jesus went to hell and preached the God. He was willing to do anything to reach people. How can we do any less? I've had experiences where there have been people who have been so mean to me, I hoped they'd burn in hell. Um, (laughs) My grandfather divorced my grandmother when my mother was about 11 years old. The last thing that my mother remembers hearing her grandfather say, hearing her father say to her mother, was, I hope you burn in hell. Sometimes we have those sentiments about people, but the truth is, Jesus was willing to go to hell to rescue people. How can we do any less? Even if there's foul, nasty, ugly people, let's reach them and help them reconnect to God. That's what we say our mission is. Is to help people reconnect to God. Doesn't matter who they are or what they've done to you. Be on mission and live your life like Jesus lived and bring them to Jesus. I think that's worth an amen. Yes. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing together.